We worship the God of the Bible, not a God that we make up in our mind, that we can choose what he's like. We worship the God of the Bible, the true God, the maker and redeemer who reveals himself to us, not we don't figure him out. He reveals himself to us in the scripture by what he says and by what he does. He is a triune God, one God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Trinity and unity, three persons who are eternally one in loving intimacy. That is the who of God. That's the who of God. I talked about that last week. We saw it on the little video. But this morning, I'm not going to talk about the who of God. I'm going to talk about the how of God. How does the fact that God exists as three persons in one God, how does that impact our lives? How does that impact how we live every day? The answer is, the short answer is, it impacts us in every way. How could it be otherwise? We are created in the image of that God, not in the God we make up in our mind, that God. That God exists, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're made in His image. So the ramifications of how we're wired are huge. How could it not impact us? Because we worship that God, and that God exists as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And because the more we worship Him, the more we become like Him. And because how He relates to us flows out of who He is. How we relate to people stems from who we are as a person. And since from eternity, God has always been three persons bound together in intimacy, loving and being loved. Well, that's how he relates to us. How could he do otherwise? That's who he is. So his love for us is passionate and committed, and he knows us, and he intends that we know him because that's all he knows. That's all he is for all of eternity. That's what he does. Passionate, intimate love and relationships. And because God is Trinity, relationships are the real stuff of life. They are. Why are we living? Because we are made in the image of a triune God. Well, how should we live our lives? Relationships are everything. We're meant to live within community, have meaningful relationships with other humans. But what kind of relationships are we supposed to have with other people? Again, all we have to do is look at the Trinity. Because we look at who God is, we discover how relationships are supposed to be. So let's look at how the persons of the Trinity relate to one another, what their relationship with one another is like. First of all, it is intimate. Intimate. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit have a unity that's based on an intimacy. They share everything with one another. Jesus spoke of being in the Father. That's pretty intimate stuff. And the Father being in Him. Jesus said that He knows, knows experientially the Father and the Father's words and the Father's deeds. 
The Spirit takes what belongs to the Son, and He shares it with us. God the Father knows the Spirit's mind. The Spirit knows His will. And this intimacy is so deep that Jesus said, um, you want to see the Father? Well, if you've seen me, you, you've seen the Father. That level of intimacy. And the persons of the Trinity are interdependent. Not independent, not codependent, interdependent, which is a key to relationships we're supposed to have in life, too. The persons of the Trinity, their relationship is selfless. You want to know what relationships are supposed to be like? You simply need to look at God. They don't seek their own glory at the expense of the others. The Son does not seek His own glory, but that of the Father. It says in John chapter 8, verse 50, when the Son is glorified, He's glorified because He glorifies the Father, John 14, 13. As you read about Jesus in the Gospels, you see the Son rejoicing that He could obey the Father. In the same way, when the Son is exalted, so is the Father. The Spirit seeks the glory of the Father and the Son, and in them is glorified. There's no hint of jealousy, no hint of competitiveness or selfishness. Jesus said, hey, you know what? It's good that I go, because then I can send the Holy Spirit, and man, your lives will never be the same. The Father says, this is my Son, whom I'm well pleased. The Son says, my Father, be glorified selfless and the relationship between father son and holy spirit is equal but it has an order to it now that might come as a surprise to some of you but it's true the father son and the holy spirit like you saw in the video have different roles the son obeys the father the spirit is sent by the father and the son now, we as sinful humans think that, well, if somebody is obeying somebody else, then the person who's being obeyed is greater than the person who's obeying. And we think if somebody's being sent, I'm sending you to do something, then, then he's a lesser person because I'm the one sending him. But it's not true. It's only our sin that makes it that way. In the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are totally co-equal. They are all God, but there is an order there. The Son appoints what the, the Father appoints what happens. The Son accomplishes the Father's will. The Holy Spirit applies what the Son has accomplished to us. You want to know what relationships are like, should be like? Just have to look at God. Okay. Okay, Lord, that's what you want. Selfless, intimate, equal, but ordered with roles. So let's dig a little deeper. What does the fact that God exists in Trinity teach us about the community that we're supposed to live in? Well, first of all, as I've already said, the Trinity teaches us that humans are made for community. We're made for it. We're wired for it. So the desire that you have for friends, <laughs> for, for besties, if you're single, the desire you might have for a spouse uh, is good. 
It's natural. It's been given to you by God, the God whose image you have been created in. Now, of course, we can turn those things into sin. We can idolize people uh, instead of God, and that turns it into sin, and sin is always a part uh, of our life, always lurking nearby. But the desire for community is not something we made up. Uh, it's not something we just decided one day. It's good for humans to have community. No, man, we were born like that because we're created in a God who lives like that. Second, the Trinity teaches us that unity and love go together. And the Scripture over and over tells us, hey, guys, unity, unity, unity. It says in Colossians 3.14, And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Philippians chapter 2 shows us the link between unity and love. Verse 1 says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value yourselves, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. And then, because that's who Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are, the Trinity teaches us that roles in our relationships are good. They are good. So let's talk about those three things as we dig into the deepest relationships that you and I have. Let's start with the church. Let's start with the church. Jesus' vision for us is unity. Unity. That's why over and over in the Scripture it says, uh, with the one another's, and there's, what are there, 50 one another's in there? It says, love one another, be at peace with one another. It, it, it's all stressing this idea that we are supposed to have unity with one another. And our unity springs from the fact that we have a relationship with this triune God. And God meant for relationships in church to be intimate Somehow we miss that. The normal thing people do in church in America is they come, they listen to music, they stare at the back of somebody's head for a little while, and then they go home. Am I wrong? They, uh, they sit, they stare, and they leave. Uh, they pray, they plop, and they go. And when they leave, they feel empty. Well, of course, of course. God never meant for the church to be like a shopping mall where we all happen to be in there at the very same time and just a bunch of random people were all here and uh, we did something together. We all shopped and now we all left. How could the church be that way? How could it possibly be that way if the God who is behind it all is not that way? And that's why this morning we're going to take a little step, and I want to encourage all of you to be courageous and take a little step to uh, 
to do more than look at the back of people's heads on Sunday morning, to sit in a circle with some other people and look at them in the face. How about that? Pretty scary stuff. But I'm looking around now. They're beautiful folks. You'll enjoy that. And, and learn each other's names, talk, share concerns and, and maybe questions and fears and eat together and, and, and take a step, just a step, towards intimacy in a church. If all I did on Sunday morning was come and preach a little message and go home and, and that was it, turn on the TV, then I would find that the most empty experience in the world. It was never meant to be that way. Never meant to be that way. And in terms of roles in the church, well, we're all equally God's children. Of course we are. Like, but like the Trinity, we function in different roles. God has exercised uh, or put into a church people who are supposed to exercise leadership in various ways. So I, for example, uh, am a pastor here at the church. Nate is a pastor here at the church. So on one hand, that's our role. That's what we're supposed to do. What are pastors supposed to do in that role? Well, they're supposed to provide leadership. They're supposed to make sure that the Christians are, you know, moving in the right direction. Uh, supposed to uh, make sure that people are being prayed for, that good decisions are being made, like that. But that's just my role. Where, who I really am is a person who's just like everybody else. <laughs> we're, we're all equal as brothers and sisters in Christ as receivers of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the impl implication of God existing in Trinity. So don't be surprised the church has leadership. It's supposed to. It's okay. God himself has different roles. And don't be surprised that on the other hand, everybody is just brothers and sisters in Christ. It all exists at the very same time. And maybe you come from some kind of church background where you think like leaders in a church are all that and a bag of chips and, and, and they have been specially, you know, uh, something different about them. Well, they have a role to perform. Yes, they do. And they need to take it seriously because people are looking to them and uh, it's a, a big deal to be a leader. But they're just people like the rest of us. What does the Trinity teach us about how we should relate to our families, to our families? Well, the Trinity teaches that families are all about relationships. We're not mainly a man-made idea, an economic unit, an efficient organization, a group of people designed to make us happy. Families are meant to have intimate relations with one another and commit themselves to serving one another. And when parents or children get too busy to connect with others, then they're missing out on how they have been designed by an almighty God. Families require us listening, speaking, praying, trusting. When my children were little, my children are grown up now. They're all gone. I have four grandchildren that are gone. They, they still live, but they're not in my home. But when they were young, we decided we wanted intimacy in our family. That's what's supposed to happen. So we did a couple of things that helped a lot. One was we ate dinner together every night. Now, that might not seem like a big deal, but it's kind of a, of a big deal. So when dinner comes, it's time to eat. TV goes off. We don't do anything else. We sit and we all eat together. 
And you just make that a part of life and discussions come up. I didn't ask them, what did you learn today at school? Because they would have said nothing. Very good. I asked them, who did you sit by at lunch? Because I wanted to know what was happening in their lives. And I knew their classmates and I knew their choices of who to sit by at lunch were speaking about something coming out of their life at that moment. And it always sparked a conversation. And in terms of being equal but having roles in the family, well, of course, uh, my children and my wife and myself, we are all Uh, created in the image of God. We are all uh, at the foot of the cross equal. But God established roles in a family so that roles uh, would be helpful to the family. For example, the kids are supposed to obey. Well, we're, we're a new kind of family. We don't have any roles in our family. Everybody's equal and nobody has to obey anybody. Wow. Whatever psychology book you read that in, please get rid of it. I mean, that might sound cute, but it's not cute at all. Parents are supposed to have a role to protect, to nurture. I always felt that my role as a father in the home was to be a gatekeeper, like back in the days of the Old Testament, to keep the gate of my children's life guarded, to guard what was coming in and impacting their heart and their mind, the influences that the world was trying to give to them. And then in the most intimate of all relationships in marriage, the fact that we are created in the image of the Trinity has huge ramifications. The Bible defines marriage very specifically. I mean, you read the New Testament. I mean, it is like so much detail, all kinds of detail. Wives, this is you. Husbands, this is you. Wives do this. Husbands do that. Uh, it is so much detail. And you wonder why, why so much detail? Why not just kind of leave it open-ended and you can make up your own idea about what marriage is supposed to like? Because we're created in the image of God. Because we worship God. That's why. So the Bible defines marriage very specifically. It's to be between one man and one woman for a lifetime. It's designed to reflect God himself. And the instructions that are given about marriage in the New Testament, they're not arbitrary. They're not just cultural. That was 2,000 years ago, and now we've evolved and know something else. They are a reflection of who God is himself. For example, like the Trinity, husbands and wives, while distinct as persons, and we're very different than one another, we have equal value, equal value. And there are cultures around the world where women, sadly, have been treated less than men. And that attitude has often led to neglect, abuse, disrespect. Uh, It's been horrible. But Scripture doesn't teach that. God himself doesn't teach that. Who God is teaches equality. My wife and I are both equal in the eyes of Almighty God. I'm to treat her as God's special creation. She's the princess daughter of Almighty God. We are reminded to show honor to our wives as fellow heirs of God's grace. So, yes, like the Trinity, we are equal. But like the Trinity, husbands and wives have unique, complementary roles. 
We do. And that's not something somebody just made up. That's a reflection of who God is. Now, most of the attitudes and actions that produce a good marriage are the same for both husband and wife. We're both to love each other with God's love. We're both to prefer each other. We're both to pray for each other. We're both to speak the truth of love to each other. We're both to raise the children with one vision about uh, how to do it that points them to Christ. But there are also unique roles that my wife and I have. She's been given the unique role of having children. That's a pretty unique role, is it not? That is not my role. I have not been given the role of having children. Cannot do it. Uh, It is impossible. But that's the role God gave to her. It's amazing. The honor of conceiving and bearing children. Eternal beings with a great potential to bring honor and glory to God. What a special role she's been given. Husbands have been given a special role of leadership in the home to lead, to love, to provide, and to protect their wives. Scripture says in Ephesians 2 verse 15, husbands, 2 verse, uh, excuse me, 5 verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. And you know what's interesting? Do you think that wives should love their husbands? I, I do too, because everybody should love one another. But God doesn't specifically say that to wives in the New Testament. But he specifically talks to husbands. He says, hey, you, you over there, love your wife. Love your wife. How? How? Like Christ loved the church. How's that? Protect, nurture, defend, care, love. And husbands are called to provide leadership in the home. And wives have a very important job of supporting the imperfect leadership of their husbands. It says in Ephesians 5.22, wives be subject to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Marriage is the one place that God has chosen for this picture of who God is to be made incredibly clear to the world. Now, that's always abused. Whenever a sinful person is put into a place of leadership, they have to deal with the sin part of them that wants to use leadership uh, as a power play to power up over people. But as Christians, we look back to the Trinity. That's not what leadership is all about at all. The Father sends the Son. The Son obeys the Father. There's no powering up over one another. It's doing and caring and loving. And like the Trinity, husbands and wives are unified by a common purpose of mutual honor and affirmation to one another. I've been married 43 years, and it's been wonderful, wonderful. And we have from the very beginning decided that we wanted to model our marriage like the Scriptures talk about. We want to try to do the things that God told us to do in there. Never done it perfectly, never will do it perfectly. But we're created a certain way by a God who lives in community, and marriage works best when we follow His design. Okay, would you pray with me right now, please? Father, we know that we have been created in the image of the triune God. 
And Lord, we know that that means we have been made for relationships. <laughs> that's why we've been made. That's, that's, that's what the stuff of life is all about. We're made for relationships that reflect our Creator, intimate, selfless, equal, but ordered. And Lord, as we worship you more and more, I know that we'll grow in our ability to be more and more like you. And God, we want to reflect you. God, we want to honor you. We want to give you praise and glory. And we thank you, God, for who you are and for who you have created us to be. Amen. Worship team, would you please return? Look at the very bottom of your notes, everybody. It says, grow deeper this week. And so these are your two assignments this week to grow deeper. First, spend some time daily worshiping the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Sometime. Sometime. My best time is in the morning. Maybe you're better at night. Maybe you're better in the afternoon. My best time is I get up and I go for a walk, about 30 minutes or so. I have my little headphones on. I spend time listening to the Bible. I spend time worshiping and singing. I spend time praying, talking to God. I seem to do that better when I'm outdoors and when I'm walking. But, but that's what works for me. Find what works for you. And then second, memorize or meditate, whatever you want to do. On this verse, would you please say it out loud with me? It's written in your notes. You ready to go? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Worship that God. Grow in intimacy with that God. Oneness with Him.